Dangerous delivery towards the spot, it's in! And it's Pat Hooven, who else? Well, cutting in off the right side, has another shot! Oh! Shamrock Rovers. Here is Mandrew. That kind of position. Oh, what a goal! What a goal from Danny Mandrew! Hello there. It's League of Ireland Weekly Series Four, Episode Five. We're on the television, the usual podcast platforms, and we're also on YouTube. Plenty of action from the weekend. A disappointing Dublin derby. Rovers' winning start of the season continues, and King Billy slays the Rebels in Inchicore. Later in the show, we'll have St. Pat's Director of Football, Ger O'Brien, but I'm delighted to be joined, as ever, for, by Daniel McDonnell. And we also have Johnny Ward from the Petri dish that is Presbury Park. Johnny, how's life over in Cheltenham? I mean, I might be accused of being biased, but like you're already editorialising the Shells Bowls result into a, a disappointing, disappointing Dublin Derby. Oh, I was just going to say pitch. that as well. It was a very striking, <laughs> there was no context provided. It, it wasn't a yeah. great, great football match. In, in no. the 90 minutes of football, it wasn't ideal. How do you think you would have introduced it if Shells had nicked it with a 90 minutes? <laughs> uh, like in Cork. I'm judging this Maybe in the context of football. And okay. the football on show was probably hampered by the pitch, which wasn't ideal. And as a spectacle for the viewing public, we're trying to promote the League of Ireland here, as always, and it wasn't ideal. Okay, and I you, think you have to agree with me on that. We sort of believe you. Johnny, <laughs> do we believe him? I'm not so sure. Yeah, like, in, in fairness, you know, I was tweeting about Roddy Collins. He was given out about this game. Apparently he said he left at half-time now. I'm not sure I'd take Roddy all that seriously, but Pat Finnan called this last week. He said the pitch was going to be problematic. It was very problematic. You're not going to play a Dublin derby like that uh, on a pitch like that. You're not going to be playing um, champagne football in a game that was very, very important for both sides as well. Bowes haven't had a great start prior to that, and I didn't think it was that bad a game. I thought there was a lot of quality about the two goals. So Tordex header for... Wright's goal was absolutely brilliant, the ingenuity of it, and it wasn't a bad game. Um, it wasn't a great game. It wasn't necessarily uh, the worst game I've seen. The pitch is bad. We have a lot of problems in this country at the at the moment, and one of them is the quality of the, some of the surfaces in Ireland after all the rain we've had, but once, once the pitch has improved, so will the football. Hopefully, anyway. Uh, plenty of football to talk about, but Johnny, you are at Cheltenham. What is the mood over there at the moment? Is it sombre in any way? Is anyone concerned about COVID-19 hanging over their heads? Yeah, like they, they, there is a slightly strange, um, you know, mood around the place. I, I think anyone who's drinking obviously is just enjoying themselves. They're just like they've probably forgotten about all the troubles in the world, including the coronavirus. But you know, I, I know of a couple of journalist friends who decide to go home early. Uh, I had two friends who were to come over here who decided not to come. One has an elderly mother. One has a young son. Um, and to be honest, I'm I'm very blasé about. Um, health scares and all that but this is a little bit different I think you know the more you read into it and um, the more concerned you are and be, being honest I've basically written a piece there saying I don't think Grayson should have gone ahead this week but at the same time I hope League of Ireland might be okay in some shape or form because um, obviously our crowds aren't that big but maybe even if it's behind closed doors because be, there would be so many ramifications if, if, if the football were just cancelled for a month well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, this is this is coming at us fast. I mean, there was a meeting today with the with the FAI, the PFAI, and uh, the clubs, and there is a feeling, as it stands, that the the games will go ahead this weekend. But um, closed doors football would have disastrous implications for the league. It's not an option as it stands without uh, financial commitments from. I think they're going to have to seek it from UEFA, possibly government in terms of ring fencing, some money that's coming their way, which is meant to go towards development. But closed doors just doesn't work 
in the League of Ireland. This is the this is the, the situation. And um, the argument for even playing games this weekend, I think you can have a debate around it um, because League of Ireland stadiums aren't necessarily equipped um, to cope. I mean, we can joke all we want about like social distancing and whatnot, and uh, but it's gone beyond like a sort of joking matter now, really. Um, you know, someone has died, you know, in, in the country now. And uh, you look at a lot of our stadiums where... Uh, you know, facilities to to wash hands, facilities to. Um, I, I'm mentioning. I mentioned Talca Park, and I'm not just saying it because I'm I'm sitting across from you. But as you know, you know, parts of the stadium are, are closed off, so those yeah. that are there are going to be congested quite close together. Um, but but it even it, it's gone beyond that now. We're we're talking about games, which is a very. Um, I suppose that's what people's engagement with it would be. But I know that now that one of the big debates and one of the discussions that's going to be brought up in this daily task force is the amount of uh, teams in this country that train in communal facilities, that train in gyms, that train in colleges and ITs. I think already, I gather in rugby, you know, Munster are in, are in uh, you know, they're in UL, they've moved to Tomman Park. So clubs will have to look at training in their stadiums. Um, and I mean, that's easy said. Some, you know, that's easier said than done. You know, some facilities aren't necessarily equipped for that the pitchers are battered and bruised and I mean this is obviously something that's bigger than all of us bigger than all of that um, but they're going to face uh, probably unprecedented decisions here and I, I know that it's been pretty much acknowledged even outside Ireland that leagues such as our one where clubs are basically reliant on gate receipts and only got the licence to play in the league uh, on account of budgets that are drawn from gate related income the, the idea that you can just go behind closed doors for a month and, and survive is is just not realistic. Liverpool can go behind closed doors for a month and survive. You know, clubs that make massive amounts of money from TV can can do that, but in this league they can't. So um, this is going to need strong uh, leadership now. And like with all these things, of course, you know, sporting bodies can get to make together, get together and have discussions or whatever, and then government will come in and make a, a, a ruling that you know that supersedes and, and and hangs over all of that. So. They're going to have to be prepared, and I think there's a lot of discussions going on. This is this is a very real thing, and I think you know the games may well go ahead this weekend. But I think beyond that, we are looking at we're looking at a stoppage. I think. So, Johnny, what is the alternative then? Closed doors doesn't work. Is it just a, a blanket ban for fixtures for the foreseeable future? I don't know. I mean, is there any way that the clubs could set up some sort of a streaming service to, for fans to watch the games? I don't know. Dan might know more about that in terms of a short gap solution where fans would actually just pay to watch the game basically on a stream. I think they might, they might be able to, obviously a couple of clubs have trialled that already um, in League of Ireland, but I spoke to Brian Cavanagh, the horse race in Ireland uh, CEO today in the parade ring, and he's basically saying, well, it's basically, it's, it's all down to the government. You know, the, the, the HSE um, issued a fairly stark uh, tweet today, the HSE CEO, um, this is completely out of my comfort zone. I've no idea what's going to happen with this, but obviously football is, is a small matter. It's just the, the people who would have come over to Cheltenham this weekend who may have elderly parents or, you know, may have young young kids, they now have a situation where they know that it's possible they're carrying a coronavirus that they won't know about for a week or two and the possibilities that that entails, it's actually quite frightening. Um, so I, I don't think I, I've really taken in the repercussions of this, but um, whatever happens, it's, it's going to be pretty disappointing. I just, I've no idea what the answer is, and it's, it's something the League of Ireland obviously could do without this stage. Yeah, I, I answer. think there has to be though a lot of foresight in this, in terms of football is obviously insignificant when yeah. it comes to such serious health matters. But we saw in the 2000 season with the foot and mouth uh, crisis that Longford end up playing four matches in ten days. Five days later, they play 
in FA I Cup final, which they lose. So you have to plan it out properly, that if you are going to put back the season or if there is going to be a blanket ban on fixtures, you're going to have to see when are we going to play these rescheduled yeah, matches. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the idea of a streaming service is well-intentioned, but again, that will favour bigger clubs. Smaller clubs you know, might be reliant on... I, I just think there's too many variables there that I, I like the idea in theory but in practice I don't think that's equitable in, in such a way that it's going to fill the gap um, we do have a pretty dysfunctional league in terms of fixtures as we know and that might leave some room for manoeuvre if you had to stoppage I'd be in favour of a stoppage personally rather than for a closed long? doors continuation I mean well it's just the thing it's a fair point Shane I don't know none, none of us can really know mm. we can predict uh, do you take a strong action for two weeks uh, and, and hope that, that you return to normality after that but I guess what if you don't and as I said none of us are health experts here so we probably shouldn't be speculating too much on that but I, I guess what we do have later in the season if you want to bring it back to our world and we know it's not as important as what's going on here but just we have to talk about it what might happen uh, you know you might have to look at I see it's been floated the idea of getting rid of the League Cup playing games on Mondays. We have this situation later in the year where you have... The first game there, Dan, no. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a, you know, some things might just have to go, John. Um, I oh. think I think you have yeah. the FAI Cup um, weekends later in the season, which, as we know, I mean, at the stands, Sligo Rovers don't have a home game for five weeks at some stage. So, you know, you could slot games in there. You could move the Cup to Mondays and move the league games to weekends so that if teams get knocked out, it's not as much of a disruption. There's, I mean, people are going to be unhappy but whatever is proposed, and um, you look at extending the season, of course, which is which is something that arguably should be done anyway. But I mean, all the players in the league at the moment have contracts that say end of the season, mm. um, and they, they. I don't think that will happen without assurances that the money will be, uh, you know, the costs of doing that. And of course, it's not just player wages, um, which are substantial, but there's also other running costs as well: full-time staff, employees at clubs, people like that. And I mean, there's a lot of uh, things about this league that aren't ideal. I mean, you hear you hear. Any anecdotal tales of clubs paying in cash you know uh, people that are in amateur terms and expenses and whatnot. Um, you know when it comes down to it everything has to be pretty much laid down firmly what are your costs I know that the FAI are going to go off and do a projection on each club and how much they, each individual club relies on gate income and whatnot. but I mean people have might have contracts that are heavily appearance based for example you know so there's just when you, when you actually dig down into it I don't think you've even scratched the surface of the, the implications and, and the, the angles that you have to consider. And uh, what we are dealing with here is, is something for our league that leaves it extremely vulnerable. I don't think you can, um, you, you know, do you, do you have to do things like, you can't really knock around the games off the season because clubs would have got projections on 18 home matches or 19 home matches or done season tickets and, and whatever on that basis. So um, we're, here, we're talking here now on Wednesday. Mm. You know, who knows where we're going to be next Wednesday. Johnny, we talk about a rejigged FAI. Do, does the leadership now that we have at the moment, is it strong enough to make these important decisions? I have absolutely no idea. I think it's far too uh, early to say. It's funny, I met Paul Cook, who obviously was the interim uh, CEO or interim deputy CEO or whatever he was after uh, John Delaney's departure. I met him He's on the way president in. president now still, yeah. Yeah, um, and we were having a bit of a laugh about obviously Watford having a big uh, win at the weekend, but um, I, I honestly don't know. I think, you know, at a bigger level, I think this is an opportunity for the government, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and the Greens to quickly just form a government. I think it's actually quite, in a sense, convenient for them because people just need, 
they just need a government now. They need things to, to happen. Um, I, I mean, this is this is obviously a massive issue for the FAI, and uh, I, I think all the clubs would wish them the best in it. But as to whether um, the, the FAI is, is is equipped enough to deal with this, you know, on on the basis of our experience with the FAI, they're not. Really, it's not really equipped to deal with anything. But I would hope. Okay, yeah. connection's not great there. Yeah. Dan, you mentioned UEFA. Is there money that UEFA can subsidise the well, FAI anyway? Well, I think that's, that's what's been explored. I mean, UEFA do have a, a, a pit of money. You know, it's not ideal for the FAI to be doing that in the context of a year where they've gone to, the, you know, to UEFA already, but they won't be the only league in that in that boat. I mean, we see what's happened with Linfield where players actually tested positive. And, uh, you know, so there's obviously they're further down the road. Um, and... I just gather from speaking to people today that, you know, there'll be the 10, 12, you know, 15 leagues in Europe that are really going to be affected. And I guess, you know, what does a governing body of a sport exist for only to be able to deal with a, a crisis such as this? There is solidarity payments. The, the fear, of course, is that money that could, you know, could be used for other things gets diverted here. But, I mean, this is an emergency for some of these clubs. And there are people's livelihoods and, and you know, at, and jobs at stake. It's it's... As I said, there's, there's, they are the real concerns. They're secondary to people's health, of course, but you, every small business in the country now has to somehow look at this and, and see how they're going to cope with it. And the small businesses that are our league clubs are no different to that. Is there enough communication between clubs that we, as a league can be proactive as opposed to reactive? Well, I mean, they've, they've had a meeting today. They're having daily meetings with representatives of the FAI, the, the, you know, the league and, and uh, the league clubs and then the players. I mean, I guess they're having a daily meeting. They're reviewing it on a daily basis. You would hope so. I mean, of course, again, one of the aspects of this league that you'll have clubs that pay 52-week professional contracts versus clubs that pay 36-week amateur, 36 to 40 week amateur contracts. So there's not a one size fits all solution necessarily. I mean, and that's obviously one of the complications that you would face. Mm. Um, but 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 you, you asked the question to Johnny about leadership and, and uh, that's of course what you need. Now, I know that all football bodies have the problem that they can show X amount of leadership, but the government are making these decisions about whether cultural and sporting events go ahead. So. Um, the, you know, the, the FEI could, could, in theory, lay out, well, this is what we're going to do, and then get a phone call from government buildings you know, a couple of hours later, and it's rendered irrelevant. So um, that, is, that is the problem that they, they face. So, I mean, from what I gather today, and it may change tomorrow, and it may change on Friday, there's no indication from government the games this weekend will be affected, but I think uh, there's no real certainty beyond that. Well, it's certainly a, a serious conversation and it's a case of wait and see. Apologies for Johnny's abrupt departure there, clearly hasn't paid for his data. We will be chatting football in part two and St. Pat's director of football, Gerald Bryan, will be with us. Hello again, League of Ireland Weekly Season 4, Episode 5. The ever-present Daniel McDonnell is still with me and I'm delighted to be joined by St. Pat's Director of Football, Joe O'Brien, and also Air Sport Pundit now. Yeah. Did you enjoy yourself at the weekend up at the showgrounds? Yeah, bar the rain. It was, a really, it was a really good game, to be on, in fairness. Loads of goals. Um, it was a decent performance by Shamrock Rovers, although they might have got a little bit... We were probably a little bit critical at, during the game at them, but having a look back at you know, it was difficult to try and break down Sligo, but they managed to get the win in the end. Going up to Sligo, I believe it's the only away ground that Stephen Bradley hadn't won as a manager. It's Rovers now, best start of the season since 1965. What do you make of the Shamrock Rovers start of the season? Yeah, Barrett at Dundalk game, I think they would be expected to win all the games, and even and that's even in daily mount as well against Bowes. I think they've kicked on right from probably the last half of last season, and then obviously getting the 
the cup final win against Dundalk would have taken a big pressure off them at the start of this season. The fixtures have been kind to them as well, Cork are home and, and Waterford, they've managed to go and get good victories there, which is, uh, but listening to Steve McPhail even after the game, he said it's only a platform for them to go and build on the May last year they might have been mm. 10, 12, 13 points clear. So. Yeah. Johnny Ward will never forget how far <laughs> they were. Yeah, it shows how quick they can get reeled in by a very, very impressive Dundalk side, and they're breathing down their necks. Mentally, how big a win was it? Because, I mean, they've gotten over to Dundalk, the Bose Hoodoo's gone, they've gotten over to Dundalk now a couple of times, and Sligo, you know, they were a bogey team for them as well. Yeah, I mean, they've, and they've, I guess they've won all these games with late goals. I mean, I know what was the McAniff goals for the 72, 73, or in that sort of territory. So yeah, they've they've had probably setbacks in all of the games, and they've come back out on top of all of them. So I guess it is. I mean, I, I suppose it is early days. Like you're you're wary of making dramatic statements about this is their year, you know, or this is the you know this. But but again, I think what they've done is they've probably shown they've a bit more depth to the squad, and even for example, they tried something with Gaffney and Green up front together, didn't work. Able to sort of mix things up, bring in Dylan Watts and uh, sort of overload that midfield a bit more and they got out of it. They problem solved, I guess. And they are the things that they would take, take something from. I took something a bit different from the game. I didn't actually didn't think Sligo Rovers were that bad. I know that they're, considering they're missing so many players, mm. they're missing like a lot of players. Defenders that, especially. They have to bring on their new striker, De Vries, almost as a, as a midfield player. Uh, I saw Cork on Friday and I saw Sligo Rovers on Saturday. And you look at Sligo and they still think when everyone's back, they have experience around the league. And uh, I think they might actually be okay in the end. I mean, I think they're going to be probably down there just because it's very obvious to see. But, um, you know, they, they still put it up to, to Shamrock Rovers. You know, they had a, bit, a period after half time where they were you're thinking, God, could we be on for a shock here? And then Rovers got on top of it, of course. But um, I don't know. I don't know what you meant at Sligo. You know Liam very well. So it's, uh, they're still going to have a tough season. Yeah. But I don't know. I was stuck some weird encouragement from it given all the, the absences they had. Yeah, I think he needs his players back. He's missing some big players and he lost some important players in pre-season through injury as well, which hasn't helped things. The manner of the goals, the first goal and the third goal especially, would be really concerning though. Mm. Now, in fairness, having watched the back again, he only made a substitute, he was forced into a substitution, he moved Gary Buckley back into centre-back. Who done um, well. He, he did do well, but he probably within two or three minutes, you know, for a player of Jack Bourne's quality to get a ball, take two, three, four touches without, yeah. and I think at the end it was four Sligo players around him, nobody even put a hand on him, mm. and he was able to find the bottom corner and the second goal or the, sorry, the third goal for, for uh, the run down the, the, right on the end line and you know I think Seymour was running with him and didn't even put the ball over a corner and it's a little pullback and again Aaron Green's and acres of space inside you know eight yards outside in the box and it's, it's a happy end which killed the game right, really off because even at 2-1 you know they've, as Dan said they had done so well in the second half to kind of settle things down and frustrate Rovers really into mm -hmm. making changes and even at 2-1, if they had a stead in the game a little bit longer, you know, throwing the kitchen sink for the last few minutes, they might have got something out of the game. I definitely think they're due a result. The league position is a bit unfair in them, maybe. But having said they're due a result, going up to Derry is, is not ideal. No, it's not. They've a, they've a tough weekend, in fairness. Derry is a really tough place to go now. You know, it's a big pitch. And But in fairness to Liam's teams, like Liam likes to get the ball down and play. It's just a matter of trying to get his best players back as quickly as possible. And not even his best players, experienced players back as well, which will help. And then the problem is, you don't get a result up in there. You have a very, very quick turnaround for Waterford on Monday, which is a really, really tough game. OK. Well, gents, let's turn our attention to St. Pat's. And yesterday, I had the pleasure of interviewing St. Pat's manager, Stephen O'Donnell. Talk to me on a day-to-day -day basis, training. Do you have the shorts on, boots on, mucking in yourself, or did you take? No, more? I take. I don't uh, don't get involved really in the sense of um, of participating or that. I'd like to watch. So we have 
Patrick Craig and Shawnee O'Connor who do who do the coaching and are excellent coaches and uh, very thorough. So we we'll have our sessions sorted and that and um, then if. I, I take it backwards step by suppose and just watch training because I think if you're stuck in the middle of it, you don't get to see every part of training. You're more worried about how the session's going. Then obviously, if I if I have things, if I see things and have things to say, I'll step in. But ultimately, um, Patrick and Shawnee are very good coaches, and I fully believe that a coaches and management is a little bit different. So if you're getting two coaches in, you allow them coach. You know, in the sense of. You know, you have them in for a reason and um, and obviously people you respect and people who you highly rate, you let them go and do what they do best and that's coaching. And then when you take a little step back, you can you might see things that you wouldn't see if you're in amongst it and worried about numbers of training or where cones are set out and that, you know, I'd rather just watch and then pick up on things and then obviously have your input throughout the session. Very interesting to hear from Stephen there. When I was chatting to Stephen, he really you know, emphasise the point that it's it's not just him, it's, it's a management team. He reeled off a couple of the coaches there, Alan Matthews involved as well. Is that the sense in St Pat's that it's a, a team effort without sounding too clichéd? Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a club where we all kind of stay in communication quite a bit. Myself and Stephen would speak regarding, you know, players who are going up to the first team and, and looking at younger players who are trying to bring into the club. It's great to obviously sit down with parents, with the likes of Stephen beside you as first team manager to kind of say, listen, there's a pathway here and stuff like that. But just from knowing Stephen in the last kind of six, seven months since he's come into the club, he's that kind of guy. He's just really easy going. He's, you know, we'd speak regularly on, on bits and pieces, but he, he, it's important for any manager, and it's, he's a young manager as well, to have people around him that you can trust and bring in. And obviously, Alan Matthews is there in the background now with experience, which is great. Someone there for Stephen to lean on, but he'd be very, very close with Patrick Craig. He would have played with him in the UK and stuff like that. He would have grown up through the academies over there and stuff. So. You know, he has someone in there that you can trust, and, and Shawnee as well. Shawnee's been there a long time. He's working with the academy as well. So does, the whole thing is aligned together, which is, is fitting really well at the moment. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, because I know that this year they've brought in players like uh, Ben McCormack, Dara Burns on professional sort of contracts. Is this... Look, I, I think Pat's in recent years, maybe uh, you've, you've been trying to work on that link from underage to senior team, and do you feel you're, you're strengthening the foundations a bit there now, that things are changing a bit? Because, I, I, you know, Shamrock Rovers have something going on, and I think other clubs probably need to, to follow on from that, I guess. Yeah, well, I think at the start of pre-season, I think we had seven players who would have come through the academy mm. system. When, and the thing where it is, it's... it's when, when you're bringing them in from schoolboy clubs, you've got to appreciate the work that the schoolboy clubs have done with these players. It, it really is fantastic. But I'd like to think we're taking them on again to another level. And if you look at the likes of Brian Maher, who's gone out on loan, Paul Cleary's gone out on loan, Rory Feely was playing in the underage. He left for a year, uh, got into the first team, left, went to Warford, came back. Luke McNally, Jake Walker, Darren Markey, uh, Jamie Lennon, they've all come through with Pats in the underage over the last few years to, to get contracts and that's what we're able to show and the likes of Dara Bournes, Ben McCormick now have gone on professional contracts. There's probably two or three more who are very close to doing the same and, and that's something that the owner wants. He wants us to go out and identify the best talent that we can and work really hard with them rather than going around the same players over and over. We want to try and produce players through our own academy with good habits with the same patitos and beliefs that they have and the principles and someone that actually really cares about the jersey because they've been there for so long. 
looking at this weekend now, Friday night, up to Oriel Park, League champions. Good platform to take, getting three points against Cork going up to Oriel. Yeah, I think it was important. You know, the, the Shells game could have went either way, in fairness. What Stevie would have been, and he was really disappointed about, was the set-piece, you know, to concede a set-piece in, in a tight game like that. Especially, Shells had started really well with set-piece as well, and I think the team knew that. So. It was important to get the win last week. We've got to we've got to build on that now. It's a it's a tough place to go. Listen, Dundalk, they're the champions. They've gone up to to, uh, to Finn Harps last week and, and won fairly comfortable as well. So it's a big weekend. When when you I always find when you have two games in the course of a weekend, it's important your first game to try and get something out of it because if you don't, you're under a little bit of pressure mm -hmm. and. If Derry can go and beat Sligo on Friday, they'll be coming down to, to Richmond on Monday full of confidence. So it's important that we try and go up to, to Oriel, get something from the game. And if that's the case, then we can build on that hopefully against Derry on Monday. I think um, Forrester's looking a bit fitter. I, I watched Pats on Friday and I still think goal scoring might be a problem for them. But uh, that was one thing I took away. He definitely looks in better shape. Yeah, listen, it's, it's really difficult to speak about Chris because a lot of private stuff went on mm. in his life. But... I think those who know him really closely, well, really well, and have worked closely with him over the last year, knows some of the difficulties that he's had personally. But he's he's a great fella. Listen, he doesn't he doesn't lose his ability overnight. You know, he's, when he's on form, and I know he's starting to show glimpses of that. But I still think there's more in Chris, which is a great sign for the club and the fans because, you know, already he's getting back to somewhere, and even at that, and he's still miles off. I think from where he can get to that he's still one of the best players on the pitch. I and mean, I think when he does finally reach where he's at, I think we're going to see the Krista you know, before he went away to the UK. Well, certainly, great to see him back and plenty of positives at St Pat's. Well, just before we leave you on Air Sport 1, a reminder that we will have live coverage of St Pat's against league champions Dundalk in Oriel Park this Friday from 7 o'clock on Air Sport 1. Connemara, Shane Subble and Paul Corey will be up in Oriel for that coverage. For our Airsport TV viewers, that is where we leave you, unfortunately. Next Wednesday, normal service should resume with Dan and Johnny Ward back, we hope. For our podcast and YouTube subscribers, plenty more to come in part three. Hello again, League of Ireland Weekly, Series 4, Episode 5, Part 3 bonus content podcast subscribers and our youtube sub subscribers Gerald Bryan, daniel mcdonald are still with us this is the part of the show where we hear from you the listener so i have a couple of questions uh, to throw to the first one is barry mccardle is on the tweet machine what are the possibilities of being able to watch a match on tv or live stream it if matches are only allowed to be played behind closed doors daniel well I, mean, uh, well, I mean, I, I'm, we're sitting in a TV studio here at the moment. So I'd like to say I, to I cannot speak on behalf of Air Sports. These decisions are over my, my pay yeah. grade. Well, we touched on it a small bit earlier on. I'm not so sure. Like, I mean, I love the idea in theory, but in practice, um, how many people are going to pay to watch a stream of pick your two smallest, you know, uh, your two smallest supported teams, whatever it might be. And then... Uh, then you've got a problem, you know, and if it's, if it's meant to like substitute gate revenue in any way, I don't think it would work. It might be bonus for bonus income for clubs, but I don't think it's going to get away from the problem that, you know, they, whatever they've projected to, I don't think that can really replace it because it's, it's too unpredictable. It's and too it's yeah, I mean, like, like I mean, th th there was a streaming service last year for Dundalk and Cork games, and I think Shamrock Rovers did one for their one of the Europa League ties. And again, it will work for some, it will not work for others. If all the games are at the same time, then people who might, you know, in theory, you know, would only watch one, will naturally will only yeah. watch one. So, I think it opens up problems. I mean, 
as I said, none of us really know where this is going. And, you know, that's what I'm saying earlier on. You asked me um, the first part, you know, when do you stop for? And I guess, I don't know what the answer for that is. Uh, you know, you could stop for two weeks, but if it gets to the stage where this might be going on for three, four, five, then you get to the stage where you think, do we need to look at, at options here? But but I don't know. Like, I mean, Jared, like, like you've been a player, right? So... Uh, if if we are now in these, and it's very hard, I know, to just speculate on this topic, but if the mid-season break went, if the option of the season being extended was raised, I mean, players might have plans, holidays, you know, some people, part of it is like to work over the winter, whatever it might be. Like, there's there's complications with this, isn't there? Oh, massive complications. And it, like we were saying earlier, if, if they shut it off for three or four weeks, you might only be missing three or four games, but does everyone have to stay at home? Mm. Are players allowed to come in and train? Like yeah. You're probably talking two to three weeks before our players really lose their lose fitness, their fitness as well. which is a very It's, it's a point. massive thing. Yeah. All of a sudden, then you're back into two or three weeks. Teams and managers are going to want two or three weeks of more training before they go into mm. games again and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of complications with it. I don't think it's going to be straightforward. Me, personally, someone who's been involved in the League of Ireland for such a long time, there's no way, I think, behind closed doors can work. Mm. I think the league is just too small for that. Unfortunately, it's looking like we're going to head to some sort of a decision that's going to have to be made. But listen, as Dan alluded to earlier, we're going to have to get stay funding. We're going to have to go to UEFA and stuff like that to keep things, to keep things. I suppose, as Dan said, you know, where clubs can meet their just meet their projections. I mean, the FBI can't really take a. Let's say, and let's just raise the you know scenario A, which we don't want, but club doesn't pay their players. The club can say, well, the reason we can't pay their players is that our budgets were approved based on X, and we weren't able to play the game. So mm, I think that like, would happen. Yeah, of course. So you would end up down a you'd end up down a road here. So. I saw the early statements and everyone seems like they're willing to work together, which is encouraging, but they're going to have to because yeah. you can't have people heading off in different directions of this. Um, they all have to be on the same page. Well, there's a case of going into the unknown. Connor Maddock is on Instagram. Gerald, throw this one at you. Could Jack Byrne be the first seven-figure transfer fee to a League of Ireland club? Seven figures, so a million plus. Do the maths for you. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure... Being honest with you, I, listen, I think he's probably, since Key Fatty, the most exciting player that I've seen in the league. And, you know, there's been some really good players since, you know, the likes of things like Richie Towell, Daryl Horgan and people like that. I'm not so sure. I don't think anyone's going to come into this market and pay seven figures just yet. Just the way contracts... I, I don't know what way his contract it, is. I think it, there's a short answer to that. No. Yeah. And it's because of his contractual situation. Yeah, I think, I think if no he had chance. a three-year contract or something like that and yeah. he was ripping up every week, the problem that it is is that... You know, you come to the end of next season, someone's going to say, listen, we'll wait a year for you and we'll get you for nothing. Mm. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Will it be a big fee? Yeah, potentially, but I think that's really going to depend on Jack. You look at Graham Bourke's situation and, and watching the piece last week, Graham seems to be very much comfortable at home playing and he's able to earn a decent living playing here and playing in an environment and with family and friends that he wants to be in. Jack Bourne might be the exact same, but mm. I'd love him to get another crack going back over because I definitely think there's more in him and... I'd love to see him playing at the highest level possible. If yeah. I was to twist the question, if Jack Byrne is playing in League One or the Championship, how much is he worth? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, it's it's like he's played international football. I'm not going to repeat myself and be boring because it's, it's it's a question that punters love. Yeah. But it, football is economics. It's based on someone's contract, and that's it. Like in you know how many players move from League One to higher divisions for uh, you know big amounts. It depends on their age and what their potential would deem to be. I think with Jack, what would count against him probably is that he'd been at clubs in England before. Um, but at the same time, I mean, he could end up being a very good buy for someone as well. To 
too. Um, and I think realistically, I think if uh, you know, I think if Jack had moved over the winter, I think he would have been talking about a couple of hundred thousand euro. That's what you would have been realistically talking about because um, his contract is for the remainder of this season. Now, I don't know if Rovers have tweaked it since, but I, my understanding of his contract would be that he would go for less this summer in that event. So that type of money, it's sort of, I know what you're saying, how much is he worth? Like, I don't know, players come from outside the, the England to the, you know, to, to Scandinavia. Now, at the same time, like Jack Taylor from Barnet, who's mm. in the Irish under 21 squad, went from Barnet to Peterborough for, I think, half a million quid with the option of it rising to a million. Mm. So there's an element of respect that comes. And yeah, maybe if, if Jack was playing, and Jack Taylor is maybe two years younger than Jack Byrne, maybe. Um, so. I mean, he could be he could be worth at some stage in his career. He could be worth more than a million quid, definitely. Um, but a player coming from here isn't going to command that money, unfortunately, at the moment. Okay. Our final question is at backpost header on Twitter. Kieran is his name. Uh, player you be very familiar with, Jer. Will King Billy be a starter for Scotland at the Euros, or will he be on the bench? That is providing Scotland qualify and also providing the Euros goes ahead. Do you know what he's done really well since he's come in? He's your typical old-style wide player who likes to get on the ball and dribble at people. He plays. He likes to play on the opposite side by the looks of things. You know, he can tie a full back up and not quite quickly with the way he checks the ball and stuff. I think we'll see the best ability now when it comes into the to the better pitches and stuff. You know, I watched him against Shelbourne and he looked bright in the first few minutes, but the pitch was in in really poor condition in Talca and it just didn't suit his style of dribbling. He's a, he's an exciting prospect for Pats, definitely. Mm. When when there was breaks in play the other day, there was oh when he got on the ball, there was a very distinctive Scottish voice in the crowd <laughs> that was just screaming at him the whole time. Can we can we clarify? Is this a relation <laughs> of, of, of Billy King? <laughs> but it was a uh, oh, I mean, a few jokes he, now supporting like, Pats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it was like it was like the whole thing where like underage football where like a dad just screams at his own <laughs> son and ignores all. Get in the box, son. Get in the box. It was it was even Martin Rennie wasn't getting that much of it. Like it was just. Billy King. So it's either it's either a new Scottish contingent supporting Pats or as a family member. I thought you might know. But, uh, no, all right. Well, that brings us on perfectly to our next chat point. Super signings. We've touched on King Billy. His name is actually Billy King. Let's, orange let's, boots. Let's, orange let's, boots. Let's, orange boots. How far yeah. do we want to go with this? King yeah. Billy slays the rebels in Intercore. Yeah. We, we've been through yeah. that. Chris Twardek. How good a signing is he for both? I think he's been up there. I think if you talk about signings of the season and there'll be higher profile ones and he's someone who was at Sligo Rovers, went to Bowes. If people probably, you know, in January were asked to like name 10 transfers that happened like that, I don't think he would have registered, but he's done very well. And actually in a position where Bowes are pretty strong, like mm. in the wide department, because they have Danny Grant, they've got Callum Thompson back on loan from Wolves, uh, Wade Slater, uh, I think a couple of other players I'm forgetting that can that can play there as well. Mandrew can in theory play out wide as well. So, um, but he's been outstanding. Mm. I think he's 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 had a role to play. And even against Rovers, where a game that they lost, he really sort of put it up to them. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Would you have seen it from him at Sligo Rovers last year? But he's certainly he's been one of the the standouts for me. No, I wouldn't have seen it to be honest with you. We we would have played him, and I think one of the matches he didn't start, then he then he he would have played at one on the right and. It didn't really cause too many problems, but but that seems to be the way things go up always at the moment. The last couple of years, the way Keith Long and Trevor have worked is that they're they're bringing in players either young players back from from England or, or players who have kind of bounced around the league a little bit and given them, I suppose, new life into them. And himself, he's done really well. I've been impressed with Malinoff uh, mm, Derry. Derry. That's a good man. I, yeah. I watched him in the first game again. Sorry, second game against Finn Harps. He came on and. And really done well, and just by pure coincidence, I was in Sheffield United the week after, and I spoke to Jack Lester, the academy director, and he was asking 
uh, you know how tough the league is that they have high hopes from. So he seems to have got better and better. He got seems to got a very good goal against Bowes and he seems to be at the ticket things now. They say there's no wingers anymore in football, but actually you look at the three we've mentioned, mm. they're actually wingers. If you throw in Billy players, King as yeah. well, in Mallon's real out and out wide player, I think. You know? yeah. Mm. Yeah. Twardick was man of the match in that Dublin derby as well, yeah. involved in both goals, so it's mm. great to He's see that. Another I was going to mention, and I think Jer shares my view, I think Liam Scales has been really mm. good for Shamrock Rovers, that um, he's, he's come into two games in an emergency due to substitutions. He stepped in for Joey and done Ryan. very well, and, and bows the opening day as well. And then again on, on Sligo Rovers at the weekend, even just how he steps out and passes the ball and you know, with that three to back, it really suits them. He's, he's he gives well. a good balance with his left foot. He would have played in that formation for UCD last year. They would have played with a three and he steps out really well with the ball really elegantly. And you've got you've also got Neil Ferrugia as well, who's playing as mm. a wing back. Mm. You know, Neil has been really impressive in the last kind of eighteen months for UCD as well. And I think both of them are gonna have big futures. I said it the other night on the on on the telly is that you know, Stephen Bradley has done really well. He's gone out and signed quality rather than quantity, and those two are, are definitely two players who are going to have long, bright futures in the game. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like the doc have signed Nathan to do, and now, like I think Rovers plugged the gap in their squad. Like the with Gaffney, that extra striker, and probably with Scales, the extra defender, they've plugged the gap. I know the doc over the winter were probably they started the season a front man down or a, an extra attacking option down, and they've signed him now. He's ex Spurs. He's played all around the world. Played I'm always Rangers as I'm well. always very hesitant when someone says, "Oh, he's ex Spurs. He's ex Rangers." Has he has he made an impact at these well, clubs? I mean, Just because he's on the books the doesn't mean that he's going to be fantastic. But, that, but that's the description. Of course, and then, listen, there's plenty of ex Liverpool. Uh, it's factually correct, like, yeah. but how relevant is but do you, it? But do you, do you, do you, how would you describe, if you were doing a piece, Shane, and Alex O'Hanlon, <laughs> how would you describe them? Uh, Shelburne left full. Yeah, would you? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I know, I know for a fact you wouldn't. So, no, like, no, no, I do take your point. Like it is, it is, I mean, that's the reference point that yeah, you need no, of course. for someone, of course. And some like, were longer at clubs than others. You know, mm. Jack, Jack Byrne, is Jack Byrne ex-Man City? Is that wrong? I mean, he was there for a number of years, played in the Ute League. Whatever Troy Parrott does for the rest of his life, you know, hopefully yeah. like, he, he keeps pushing on. But, um, but it's just interesting. I think they needed probably a, an, an attacker with a bit of pace as well, another option. And um, I know he's primarily already a winger but they seem to think he can play through the middle and that's maybe an option that they've needed at times and maybe in Europe as well a sort of speed through the middle as an option off the bench rather than Huben or Kelly who are excellent but um, it's just to have something a bit different so. He looks exciting from him yeah. and as, as Dan said you would say like his pedigree is he's, I think he played once for Spurs mm. he's might have bounced around yeah. the only concern would be the last couple of clubs I don't think he's He, he got let go yeah, in, in his round There's a picture of him in a Spurs kit like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm not disagreeing that he didn't play like, for Spurs There's any suggestion he's never been to the ground <laughs> yeah. I think then we've got a bit of a, bit of a problem yeah. But I, I, think, I think you're right I think it's probably one of the final pieces to, to Vinny's jigsaw and he'll be comp more confident now with another player as yeah. well. Like you know, he John Mountney gets pushed out to the right. Jamie McGrath went. Jamie would have done that at times last mm. year as well. And if they don't have Dan Kelly, you yeah. know, they're probably a lack of pace on one side. Well, they brought Kolovic in the Serbia. Come on against Finn Harps and hit the post. And they seem to think he could be a right-sided player primarily. But mm. they just they just have depth in that area where they didn't have it before, pretty much as Jared as Jer says. So that's been an interesting one. Well, I did yeah. see a YouTube clip. I think Nathan Adua made his Rangers debut, tried an El Rainbow flick, so he's, he's got a bit about him. <laughs> yeah, full-backs wouldn't like that, of course. No. 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 <laughs> well, a team that has a bit about them, Shamrock Rovers, they welcome Finn Harps this weekend. A foregone conclusion? Yeah, you would have thought so. I mean, I, I mean, I've actually been pretty positive about Harps the last couple of weeks, and a bit surprised they just got done 4-0 at home by the dock. Um, now, I don't know, like, I guess maybe mentally some fixtures more than others, they're going to target for points, um, but they did take points off the dock early last year. I think Rovers at home and Tala, you know, good surface. 
good squad. Um, I, I think Harps has said like they're just not a clear. It's not a sort of foregone conclusion that they're just going to be down the bottom this year. I think they'll be in a relegation battle definitely. Um, but I, I think these games aren't the ones where they take points. That man will be as optimistic as ever. Going, yeah, going with that prediction. <laughs> Tell us we're gone. Tell us we're gone. Yeah. Um, talk to me about Cork Bowls. Neil Fenn under a, a bit of early pressure. I'd, I'd like to think not, to be honest with you. You know, I don't think when Neil left Longford to take the Cork job, I don't think anyone, including probably Neil, would have foreseen what was going to happen with the, with the squad and stuff like that. He has a lot, a lot of young players down there. A lot of trialists have been coming in because we'd known Neil from being on the pro license. You know, he was trying to try and get experience in during the season. He's taken in some loan players from the UK as well. It's been a rough start, there's no doubt about it. A little bit of a better performance in, in Inchicore last week. It was important that they got the result against Finn Harps a few weeks ago. I think that helped a little bit. But yeah, I think if Neil needs to just get a little bit of momentum, he needs the big players, the likes of the Gerald Morrissey's and stuff like that. Alan Bennett, I know he's not going to probably play too much, but he needs him to be a proper, you know, off the pitch and try and rally the young players. But it's going to take time for a lot of them young players. A lot of them have only played 19s football, so you have to give them a little bit of time. I don't think, from a Cork's point of view, whether that's fans or, or, the, or the people involved in the club, should be looking for anything other than a little bit of stability this year. You done it last year. How, how difficult is it to just step in and muck in? Yeah, it is. It's it's tough being honest with you. So he needs he needs time, and yeah. and Cork need to get behind him. They, you know, it's it's a pity to see the crowds have dwindled so quickly, like, you know, and I know people use the phrase of bandwagon and stuff like that, but it's important that the people of Cork get behind, you know, Neil and in Cork because, you know, it's a really tough place to go and no matter what type of Cork side is out, but he'll look at balls coming down the weekend, he's got a target points mm -hmm. in that game without a doubt. They're almost the least experienced team down there. That'd be my concern. Like that'd be my concern for Cork, that they have to learn fast. Shells Waterford. Shells looking to bounce back from the defeat in the Dublin Derby. Typical. Straight to the shells. Straight to the shells angle. Waterford knocked one in from 35 yards last week against Derry. Waterford did. But, Waterford um, are an exceptional, uh, talented football team when, well, when they want to be. Well, I think the interesting thing about Waterford relative to, say, even Cork. I mean, listening to Neil Fenn last week and he's talking about games, they can look for points and Pats are challenging for Europe. And Waterford have beaten Derry and they've mm. beaten Pats. Yeah. Uh, they've got three points. And again, they won both of the games as well. And uh, two great goals last week as well, Sam Bone and, and Shane Griffin. And that's something. Like, I, I, it, gives them, it gives them a bit of a platform into the season because I think Waterford, you would expect them to, ha you know, financially, they're not necessarily in a great place. But um, they've won a couple of games. They know how to win. And um, that will stand to them. I don't know, Shell's Waterford this week. Uh, it's it's we'll a see. game that Shelburne will have to target. Because, I mean, the next one of fixtures for Shell's Waterford at home, Harps away, Sligo away. So, realistically, from a Shelburne point of view, they want to stay up this year. So yeah. the next three games are, are crucial for them. I think the big, like, like I said earlier, the double headers on the weekends are huge. I think Ian Morris will be targeting six points this weekend. Without a doubt, he'll fancy, you know, beating Waterford and going up to Finn Harps in the rearranged game. I think if it was me and looking... Their home form has been okay in the sense of last season as well in, in the first division. They pushed Dundalk really close to give a really good account of themselves second half. They've beaten Pats. I think he'll want to, I think he'll want six points from this weekend. We've touched on it somewhat earlier though, Derry Sligo. Yeah, I mean, I, as much as I thought Sligo, there's, there's encouragement there across the season that they might be okay. It's tough, but Derry have been very in and out. Like They didn't play, played really badly against Finn Harps. Then by all accounts, did well against Bowes. Player turnover there and as then well. They've, they've gone and lost in Waterford and Declan Devine said no real complaints about the outcome. So yeah, you're right, there has been player turnover, but they still have good players there. Um, 
they, they, you know, they're. I mean, Sligo need to get a point on the board, but at the same time, Derry like have a. They're, to me, they're contenders for third, but I mean, there is early season inconsistency. But maybe that inconsistency is just going to be there with all the clubs below the top two. I mean, you sort of have to accept it's just going to be a bit of that with all of them. Who are the contenders for third then, realistically? Derry, Bowes, Pats. Yeah, I, mm. I think that's fair to say. You know, looking at that was the, the case last season as well with those three clubs. I do think the other two are just a little bit too far ahead at the moment. But I watched the game Derry and Finn Harps, and it was again I was actually really surprised. There was just no rhythm to their play. And last year I would have been a big fan, even playing against them. They came to Inchicore and beat us three 0 I think, early on in the season, and they were outstanding. And I think Decky's just going to have to try and find that balance at the moment. You're right, there is. They're good players, but that doesn't mean that it's going to tick. And, mm. you know, Conor McCormick's come in from Cork, Conor Clippers come in from Pats. He's got a new couple of lone players in. Stephen Malladin started the first couple of games. He started. They've got the boy who played in uh, Figueroa, who played yeah, in Warford well, as well. Yeah. And, and he's got the... the Tim Nielsen f- hasn't scored Tim yet. Tim Nielsen yeah. up front, who I know they rate up there from talking to some of the lads. So it's trying to kind of put pieces into the jigsaw and try and get everything to work. It's it's just it's not easy just to throw eleven players on the pitch and say right they're all brilliant go and play you have to kind of work and last year you had that rhythm and that fluidity to their game and consistency but I think if they do get a bit of momentum going I think they'll be they'll be right there thereabouts for the third place. How long do you think that? Will take to get that bit of momentum going. I don't know. I mean, look, we, we could have an interrupted flow in the season now true, as well. I mean, this is the thing. So all of those things are up for debate. We we do in theory have a mad run of games coming anyway, um, particularly for the European qualifiers. But yeah, we're, we're returning returning to the team at the start. I mean, we could be having a very different different discussion next week, Shane. Unfortunately. Okay. Well, we certainly will wait and see what happens. My thanks to the lads. My thanks, as of course, to Dan McDonald and to Jared Bryan for coming in. Thank you very much. Normal service. We hope we'll resume next week with Dan and Johnny, but it is a case of we'll wait and see.